Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. I'm really happy to be here tonight. Uh, we have two very unusual topics. Uh, our first, <clears throat> our first guest is Ruth Crocker. She has a, a very unusual take on a, a problem that most of us wish uh, we don't have to face, yet often do. Ruth, welcome to the program. Thank and you. As, and as we ask all guests. Tell us a little bit about your background before we get into what I think is a very important topic. Uh, well, I um, uh, originally uh, my first husband was killed in Vietnam, which is kind of how I came to this topic of writing about um, PTSD uh, today. But over the years, I've also been involved in business. Um, I went back to school and got a PhD in nutrition and human development, and also in counseling, and then um, I worked, I ran a nursing home for several years where I had, um, it was a skilled nursing facility with 100 patients and uh, 150 employees, so I've kind of had both sides of the experience. Well, we asked you on the program tonight because uh, we had a very unusual instance where uh, uh, a, a company we we were involved with had two co two workers, a, a relatively small 24 company, uh, a 24 employee company, that uh, were going through very difficult times. One had lost a son through an accident, and the other one was uh, suffering from um, severe dementia problems. Mm. And when and when uh, so your name came across our desk. Um, I could not resist inviting you to come on the program quickly, because uh, uh, your specialty and uh, is really how do you help co how do coworkers uh, uh, handle, manage, and uh, a situation where coworkers are going through difficult times. So with that introduction, Ruth. The, the stage is yours. Oh, thank you. Well, um, post-traumatic stress disorder can actually be the result of any kind of traumatic experience, and sometimes it isn't manifest right away. Um, 
you know, it will come on suddenly later sometimes. And it's, it's often uh, indicated by people having, uh, it has a negative impact on memory, concentration, time management, and uh, uh, sometimes organizational skills. Um, and there are, there are some things actually that can be done to help employees who seem to be all of a sudden exhibiting some signs that they've been through um, something traumatic. Uh, would you would you like me to continue or absolutely um, well, I think as a coworker um, sometimes a person might might confide in in you that they're having a problem or they may just be indicating something by their sort of um, you know by the fact that they're not um, able to do their work or they uh, appear to be distressed and i think I think that coworkers can um, can just be be there to listen if the person, you know, decides that they feel that they can share something with with you. And there is the first steps I think in in helping a person are really just to listen with unconditional regard and and hear their story. Um, there's always this issue about confidentiality, of course, in any situation like that. So, um, you know, you have to be extremely careful that you're um, that you, you let the person know that you know that you are you will not be sharing their information unless they desire it. But um, I think that's really the first step. Um, and then when they, if they do choose to speak. Um, about what's going on with them, um, it's really there's not really anything that you have to do other than listen and avoid um, any kind of um, you know patronizing kinds of behavior like saying oh I know what you feel and and uh, it's better just to listen and uh, remind them that you know that you know that talking about things is difficult. Um, and re- reassuring them that you respect their privacy, and of course the the real the the most important things to kind of look for immediately are any signs that the person may be so depressed that they are you know even contemplating suicide. Um, there's kind of a difference sometimes if a person says, "Well, I think I'm going to go out and buy a gun and you know do myself in that that's immediately you you want to report that to someone else. If the, if they say something like, "Well, maybe the world would be better off without me," it's that's kind of a you know a sign that they're on their way to thinking uh, deeper, worse thoughts. Um, in regard to what a, a if you're if this is a person that you know is under your uh, if you're a manager and they're working under you. Um, there are some things that you can just do to sort of help them um, to get their to get their job done because sometimes these you know these problems like lack of concentration and you know poor time management can actually be assisted while the person is kind of opening up and revealing how they really feel. Um, you can encourage them to um, you know to use a, a, a daily or weekly task list um, and, and help them with that, you know, help them to get organized. Um, 
you can you can make sure they have a, a private space without a lot of distraction if they're having trouble concentrating. And then, um, you know, in terms of time management, help them to, to divide up their, their bigger assignments into something more manageable. Um, so those are some general general thoughts. Well, um, let, let me talk specific. In the case that uh, brought, uh, brought you to this program, here's a woman that uh, uh, her whole life revolved around her uh, uh, brilliant son, and the son was killed in a, in a uh, accident about a year ago. Mm. And then the the, the worker, the, the, she seemed to be over it in six months, and then uh, in the seventh month, uh, she started to deteriorate. Uh, and the workers, her co-workers and her bosses, uh, did not know what to do. And uh, you've offered some, but uh, because she was not confiding in anyone, it was just that uh, she stopped smiling, she stopped uh, uh, participating in uh, doing uh, in any of the activities. And uh, what really triggered the concern was she stopped eating lunch, and she started to lose weight. Yeah. What does a what what could worker coworkers do and managers do in a case like that? Well, I think probably the first thing is to really um, not pressure her to talk, but just make yourself available and and offer to be with her possibly outside of the work situation um, if she's still was she still. Um, Sort of on the job and going to work, or she was on the job, and uh, but um, she suffered a real breakdown at yeah. home uh, over a weekend, and yeah. uh, not discovered her until two coworkers went to uh, the house and found it uh, totally smashed up. Uh, she had just freaked out and she was huddled in a corner. Uh, uh, on a Monday afternoon, when she hadn't arrived, and phone calls were not there. Yeah. But, uh, and the, the whole company is just trying to see what could what could we have done to prevent it, something like this. Um, well, again, I think possibly. Well, the first thing is is to is just to be sensitive to her sort of. It sounds like she was kind of in a denial phase before she actually hit the wall. And uh, uh, to be sensitive to the fact that people are going to react to their, most people are going to have some kind of reaction, whether it's to a very traumatic experience like that, whether it happens, you know, right after or normally it takes time. It takes, it takes a few months to, to have the, everything kind of fully set in. And, and most, in most situations like that, uh, people don't even begin to feel normal for a full year after a traumatic experience. So I think I think the best the best thing is to is to just stay tuned into that person when you know they've had a traumatic experience and 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 watch them offer to be with them, um, you know. Um, uh, uh, eat with them if they're willing to go out and have a meal, and um, until the point where they um, 
it's not so much a question of trust. It's just sometimes people who are very traumatized feel even a kind of terror about opening up, and they have to get over that by feeling they're, they're in a very safe place. Um, also finding out, I, I, it, she sounds like she would have benefited from, from some kind of um, medical intervention, possibly if she was willing to do that. So finding out who, you know, who her caregivers are her, um, and, um, you know, alerting people that she's in a fragile state is probably the, the main thing to do. And then really, really believe in the power of listening and, and this, um, you know, this connection with people because oh, eventually they will, people will respond to people who, who make themselves available. And, uh, um, and then if you can acquaint yourself with, you know, grief counselors and, and uh, people that deal with uh, post-traumatic stress, you can try to guide them to uh, be, you know, seen by someone and receive some kind of treatment or therapy. Well, you're using post-traumatic stress. We, we normally uh, associate it with, uh, with the armed forces and returning combat veterans, but I think what you're saying is we sometimes uh, face it in, in civilian life and ordinary life as well. Am I right? Yes, and it can happen. I mean, it's, it is, today it's like a buzzword related to you know, having been in the military, but it, it can affect um, anyone who's been through um, any kind of stressful. Uh, if a person has been in a motor vehicle accident, they can suffer post-traumatic stress. Um, uh, if, they've, if they've been abused or if they've been a victim of rape, they can, you know, all those conditions are stressful events that um, a person doesn't necessarily look like they've been through a trauma. It's very difficult to, you know, pinpoint a person who has been through a trauma, but eventually people often exhibit um, kind of, you know, this kind of falling apart that's exhibited by, um, you know, uh, not being able to concentrate and uh, being tearful, being depressed, um, well, not let's eating. Turn, let's turn it around. Um, what the president of the company is now concerned about is the fact that the coworkers feel uh, uh, somewhat guilty that they had not helped as much. How, uh, how does the manager of a company deal with the, with the other side of the coin? Uh, this, this incident has affected the, the, the other employees which I thought was the interesting part of this whole thing. Yeah. Well, the best thing to do is get them together, get a qualified, trained uh, person in who can talk about um, uh, how people can you know, deal with stress and, and have a session where people either individually or as a group share their feelings and their reactions to it. The, the, the talking is, it's amazing to think that uh, how beneficial just talking, just verbalizing something is for people. So 
the worst thing to do is just ignore it and say people will get over it. You know, get them together, um, let them talk it out. Um, sometimes, possibly even do it in a place away from the workplace, um, and you know, create an atmosphere of where there's no blame, there's no uh, fault finding. It's just a question of people, you know, verbalizing how they feel and what they what what their reaction is to what happened. Well, let's take that a, a, a step further. In our, in our society today, um, with, with all of the electronic gadgets between us and uh, personal communication um, and, and our fear of lawsuits, a lot of people don't want to get involved anymore. Um, have you found that to be the case, or that, uh, am I wrong on that? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's it's true that um, you know people people sometimes don't feel that they have the skills for getting involved, and that's why talking about it can you know uh, people can be reassured about what they what they can do that's helpful. Um, I think it's true that. I mean, we see this all the time of even families sitting together at restaurants and they're all looking at their iPhone. Um, it, it's, um, it is, it's a big challenge, but it's, it's so important to, um, uh, you know, to let people feel that they're not isolated, that they're, they're not, um, um, you know, sort of out there and, Unreachable. Well, um, you know, to, for the fat, past 50 years, we've talked about we've been talking about the lonely crowd and the breakdown of communication. Um, I'm old enough to, be, to have been gone, gone to college when, uh, if, if you remember the book, The Lonely Crowd. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, first appeared, and they were talking about uh, how we, we are breaking uh, the, the social bonds, and. Uh, uh, I was just, I'm just amazed the, the morale of this particular um, company is really uh, in the pits right now Be, uh, because they, they thought of themselves as a family and, and they feel that they failed as a family. And uh, uh, you bring up an issue of uh, uh, having people talk, but it would seem to me that it's very difficult uh, to get people to talk today. Mm -hmm. well, they either one two extremes. They say too much about themselves on Twitter, or they don't say anything. And we seem not we seem to have lost that. And, but what are some of the techniques that you've used to um, uh, get people to talk about uh, their grief, to talk about their stress that you, you might pass on? Well. Um, in the case of you know that business where everyone is kind of su suffering because of in they in a way they're all having their own post traumatic stress um, if if it's a question of people not being able to talk it's even it even helps to um, to get people to get to to write about their reaction to something um, I've even had workshops where uh, we asked people to write something that they feel really 
distressed about, and I don't really want anyone else to know about it, but it, it's really a burden. And then we collected them all, and we burned them. And it was a really, a, you know, people reported afterwards that some of them wanted to say what they had written, and other people didn't. But they all felt this kind of liberation, it seemed, or many of them, from, you know, it's, it's another way of unburdening them, you know, because that's, that's the real goal is to get people to unburden. That is really clever. I have to try that sometime. That, <laughs> that is, that, you know, I, I'm going to put all of my uh, uh, stress things and I'm going to put them in a bowl and, and just burn with them. <laughs> I really like that. That's, um, I, I'm, I'm laughing because, it, you know, it's such um, an agonizing, I, I was at lunch today with a, a very prominent attorney, and uh, we both belong to uh, the same club, and uh, I, I couldn't understand why he was thinking of resigning from the club, and we were talking, there was another gentleman with us, and then it turned out that he had done something to try to do good for the club, and it was really resoundingly smacked on the head by the president of the club. Mm. And, um, you know, and I knew it's been six months, and I know something's been bothering him. And finally today, he, he I guess he felt comfortable enough after all this time to unburden himself with it. And both of the, both of the, the other gentlemen who was also a member of the club, we both said, oh, you're right, he's wrong. The president's a... We won't say what he is. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, the the relief on this man's face was unbelievable. And he came back to it three times during the rest of the lunch. Uh, so I, I, I do believe in the power. Having been a reporter uh, most of my life um, and having um, seen people, the nice thing about being a reporter is that you see people at the heights of their lives and the depths of their lives. Uh, according to John O'Hara, and the point really being that uh, 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 you sometimes see them in a state of shock. Um, um, uh, I, rem I remember as a young reporter seeing a woman, I went to get a picture of a, a young boy who had drowned, and the woman said, my most precious possession, and I don't have a photo, with her. and she had the photo right in her hand. And, mm. Uh, you know, and I saw that, and it stayed with me. Now it's over almost 50 years. But um, uh, what a, that's a great one. But what other techniques? I'm fascinated by what you. What is your business, and how do you? What do you do? Uh, do you do this on a regular basis? I mean, how do you get involved in these situations? Well, um, actually, the the most recent experience that I've had with this question of, you know, unburdening is uh, I, I was, I've had the opportunity to have reunions with, uh, just by chance, with the guys who served with my husband 45 years ago, and they, fa they found me by, by accident because they were writing tributes to him on the virtual wall, and so they invited me to a reunion where here are these guys who had, you know, 45 years ago they were teenagers in the Vietnam War. And they're still carrying these terrible burdens of, you know, the things they felt they should have done to save a comrade, or, you know, that they um, that that they uh, have just haven't been able to 
um, you know, climb out from under. And uh, just this, this experience of telling these stories and telling them, you know, in this, in this atmosphere where people just listen and, and, and uh, understand and let them speak and, and offer, um, rather than don't jump into, uh, whenever you're hearing a story like this, don't jump in and say, oh, yeah, and the same thing happened to me. And, you know, they, people need a certain amount of time to let their story out before someone else gets in there with their story, <laughs> if you understand what I mean. Um, so give them, give them the chance to spin it out enough to um, get the feeling that they're really heard. Well, that's an awful time. Uh, it's awfully difficult to learn. As a reporter, I've learned, to, uh, as I try to do in this program, is let the, 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 the person you interview talk. That's where, because that's what you're there for. Uh, it's, it's not much different in, in our line. But, uh, but having said that, uh, you're a writer, you're a counselor, but how do people uh, come to you? How do you get your referrals? Um, well, these days I'm mostly writing, um, and my any kind of work that I do has, you know, is really a kind of um, out of uh, the spirit of generosity. People, people, uh, people will come and talk to me and talk about things that have happened in their lives. But it's not so much on a professional level now. These days I'm basically a writer. And what are you writing about? Um, I'm, I just finished a memoir about this experience of, of um, you know, losing my husband in the Vietnam War and then how I went through what I went through in my own healing process and then meeting these uh, guys who kind of made the whole experience come full circle. So, And, and I, you know, I can, I can vouch for the fact that it takes years of the process of healing from something traumatic is a, you know, it's a, it's an organic process where you're, you're going four steps forward and two back, four forward and two back, and it, and, uh, and the, you know, the opportunity to write about it has been really therapeutic and wonderful, and and has helped me to really understand who I was and who I am today. And um, what's so, the name of the book? Uh, the the book title is Those Who Remain, Remembrance and Reunion After War. And uh, the publisher? Uh, the publisher is Elm Grove Press. Mm -hmm. And uh, is it on uh, Amazon? And, uh... Uh, it's, it's about to be released, so it's uh, almost out there. But it, it is available. Uh, you can go to my website, which is ruthwcrocker.com. And it can be pre-ordered, but the the launch is actually in May. In fact, the the launch of my book is on the anniversary of the day my husband was killed in Vietnam 45 years ago, May 17th. Well, what are you doing to publicize your book? Because uh, our audience uh, uh, is very always interested in, in uh, uh, how to how are you marketing your book? Uh, that's a clever, by the way, putting it on that anniversary day uh, day. What, what, how are you marketing besides being on this program, which is great that you came? Uh, well, I, I'm doing um, I'm doing a, I'm doing workshops on on uh, 
the writing of memoir and uh, sort of dealing with uh, this kind of uh, uh, experience in your life. I have a workshop uh, coming up at the um, in Branson. Well, actually, I have a workshop coming up in April uh, in Austin at the Story. It's a workshop for women writers, Story Circle. Then I have a, a workshop in Branson, Missouri, with the uh, 25th Infantry Division Regi- Regiment Society. And then I'm working with the uh, Gold Star Wives, who are uh, spouses of people of people who were killed in war or died as a result of injuries in in battle. Um, and so I'm I'm doing workshops about the process of writing about this kind of experience uh, and book signings eventually and um, reviews and. It's a it's a process, but it's a wonderful process. Absolutely, you know, uh, I'm uh, I'm currently writing um, a book about my Italian American uh, growing up Italian American, and uh, mm. I, yes, uh, I, I found it, uh, and I uh, uh, you say liberating. It's um, uh, it's been liberating, very liberating for me. Um, uh, most of the people. Uh, that I knew growing up are now gone, and uh, uh, I still on occasion uh, reach the phone to call my mother, and she's been dead quite a long time, and uh, it's a, it's a very interesting process. Um, my wife says I, I've, I've never well, uh, no Italian uh, son ever really leaves his mother. <laughs> uh, and why should you? <laughs> <laughs> But you know, uh, it, but it's been a very uh, illuminating um, experience for me, as to say, liberating because um, uh, it's brought brought back memories. Um, Carl Samberg, uh, uh, as reported by Ben Heck, said, "There comes a time in a man's life when the sun moves backwards, and the events of his childhood are clearer than those that happened two weeks ago." And yeah. I, and I, I've unfortunately reached that stage. Some people call it Alzheimer, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I think it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful process. This looking back, because as you begin to remember one thing and you start to really dig into it, and in the process of writing, I think you concentrate more and stay on something longer than when you're just thinking about it. You know, um, and you think about yourself how you were then and how you are now, you know, that reflective process. And I, I think it is, it's very illuminating and, and it is freeing. It's very freeing. Well, let me ask you a question. Do, you, do people uh, remember more the negative things or the positive things? Or is it really a function of how one's life has turned out? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think um, I think people will remember both, uh, but sometimes they will they will actually remember. Um, you know, when you think back to being like in high school and you and you're sent to the office, and the assistant principal is sort of glaring down at you. You you'll think back and you'll remember their face. And that experience of feeling small and, you know, scared. And, but if you actually go back and, and start 
exploring that, sometimes you'll find things that are, besides being scary, they're funny, they're, um, they're uh, in, enlightening, you know. So even a negative experience, can, you can open it up and uh, kind of get, get around it. And, and, and it makes you feel better, too, because you feel more in control of, <laughs> I mean, it's your life. <laughs> and why not do it? You understand it the way you want to. Well, you know, yeah. I read a line once. We spend our lives to get back bits and pieces of other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in, in my me- memoirs, I talk about my uh, high school uh, sweetheart, which uh, uh, took me two years to convince her that I was, quote, worthy to be her boyfriend. But uh, that's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I want to read this memoir. <laughs> First, I walked into class, sat behind her, and, and she had a blonde ponytail, so naturally I dipped it in the uh, inkwell. That's how you start. <laughs> but, the, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, I, I'm, I, I, for one, am looking forward to uh, reading your uh, memoir, because uh, I covered 14 wards. Uh, oh, course. goodness. Yes. And uh, uh, I have come back strangely untouched. Um, uh, I've seen more up, very up close, and uh, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I don't see the. uh, uh, I guess because I I was in combat, but I don't see the. um, uh, I didn't have the stress. I, I guess when you're young, you think you're immortal. It's only when you're old you shudder at thinking what you did as a young person. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, was your husband in the army? Yes, he was. Uh, he was a captain in the army. He actually went to West Point, and uh, we went. We were married right after his graduation, and were married for three years. Uh, and his father actually had gone to. Uh, West Point as well. So, you know, and I'm sure you remember having covered this, that, you know, Vietnam was a very, very difficult, troubled time and uh, very chaotic. Um, well, we won it on the battlefield and lost it in popular opinion. It's yeah. My, I, um, um, I was with a lot of units up and down Vietnam because I was a correspondent, so I could and I could go home every time, so uh, whenever I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, I guess you, you and I, you and I are a little older than uh, if if you married him in that period. Um, uh, our young people. Uh, well, let's not get into that because that <laughs> uh, that's. Uh, that's a, that's for another topic. Uh, Ruth, uh, again, the name of your book? Um, it's Those Who Remain, Remembrance and Reunion After War. Well, uh, I hope you'll come back again and we'll have another long conversation. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, and I'll, thank- I'll send you a copy of my book. <laughs> uh, I look forward to it. And I'll send you a copy of mine. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
thank you again, Ruth, and uh, come back. Okay, thanks so much. I'm really happy today to have with us Mark Fister. Um, Mark is one of the most unusual people I've met, and he's come up with a a darn good concept that I wanted to share with our audience. But as we usually do, we always ask our guests first to say a little bit about their own personal journey. Mark, welcome to the program, and and welcome to talking about you and your, your new company. Don, thank you, and it's a pleasure to speak with you today. So tell us a little bit about yourself first. Sure. So my background for roughly the last 15 years, I I consider myself to be a serial entrepreneur. I find specific businesses where I feel there is a need or a niche, and uh, there are problems in those areas in some cases. And I form businesses in those uh, specific sectors uh, to solve those problems. My companies have ranged from technology service companies to executive management consulting firms, uh, and typically we serve Fortune 500 companies as well as small businesses and startups. Uh, across all of these companies, I've served as a CEO and have typically filled the leadership and strategy needs of these companies, and uh, these are areas that I feel that are, that are very strong for me. Well, uh, I, I know you've had a varied experience, and uh, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, and the reason you're on the program uh, today is because you've come up with a, a new idea and a new venture. So uh, tell us about it. Sure. Well, the current endeavor was born out of need. It was, uh, it, it is a solution to something that at the time I could not find. And when we were looking to grow a few of our businesses, uh, specifically that I was running and, and was the CEO at the time, um, we wanted to grow these businesses geographically. We knew we had models that were repeatable, but we also knew we needed outside help to do this. So the first approach for us was to try to see if we could hire uh, CEOs, a CIO, and a CFO for each of these businesses to allow myself and my partners to move to a board of directors to, to oversee and govern these particular companies. And through the process of interviewing CEOs and CIOs, and quite frankly, some of them very well known, we realized that it takes a very specific approach and background for someone to grow a business across the varying stages of a small to a mid and a, and a, and a mid to a large size company. And we just didn't feel that we had the right person, even across about 10 to 12 interviews, that we, we, we just felt we hadn't found that right person or, or people across the companies. So in my mind, I started to move to a different thought process of looking at if there were groups of advisors or, or specifically a already in place, ready to be hired board of directors that spanned experience across everything from technology to human resource, finance, product and marketing, retail and sales, uh, all these different areas that we knew that we would need to help to expand this business. And quite frankly, the group didn't exist. So about two and a half years ago, that became my main focus was to build a four-hire board of directors that catered towards businesses and companies of all size, ranging from startups to small to mid and even large size non-public companies. And that's where we focused our efforts. We've built uh, quite a team. and. The folks on this team, as I mentioned, span across all of these different expertise areas, and their expertise and knowledge is, is uh, it really is incredible for a company to be able to infuse this knowledge and experience into their company overnight. 
Well, how do you find, identify uh, people who have a need like this? Do so our, our marketing... Go ahead. Sorry, so I was going to say our, our marketing is quite unique in that we don't have a specific, uh, I'll say, approach to marketing. We're not going out and buying ads. We're simply just based off of the contacts that we've built over the years and the knowledge of our services or, or previous positions. Um, the work has come to us that way. We, we are pretty well known across our industries, and, and uh, the, between the advisors to our group as well as the core board members, most of this has been word of mouth. Well, well, how does a person identify? Uh, we've had several people on this program who have uh, uh, talked about this. How, do, how does a small business identify that it has a need like this? Uh, I, 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 by the way, I believe I believe what you're doing is uh, very valuable, but but oftentimes, uh, for instance, in a startup or even a, a company in the first three or four years, usually the uh, owner, manager, so so self-consumed with what he's doing or she's doing that they can't look above and see the need for that. How does a, a small business person identify that he or she needs such a need? Yes, and, and Don, you, you've hit the nail on the head with uh, specific early on issues with, with many entrepreneurs as well as small and startup businesses where in some cases, the, the lack of a broad, a broad experience, both internal to that person that runs the company as well as, say, the partners or the groups they surround themselves with, it is hard to separate from that day-to-day -day tactical work and focus on the strategic. So um, there are specific ways that happens. Many times it's just out of sheer time. There's not enough time in the day for some of these entrepreneurs to get done what they need to get done, and they do start to look for outlets of, of how they can satisfy uh, that need that they have. Um, there's a key in my mind uh, for an entrepreneur, and it's understanding a few things, especially as they go through the different phases of growth in their business. Number one is you have to realize that you're not an expert in all areas. And that doesn't mean that you can't be. It just means that when you're focusing time on your business, it's very likely you're going to have to focus expertise and other team members around you to get that expertise, whether it's internal or external to your business. That, that need is there, and it's very important for an entrepreneur to be able to identify that. I also think it's important to know when it's time to replace yourself. This is a, an interesting concept due to the fact that if you run your own business or you're a partner in a business and it's a startup or any size business, you have to start to understand when your time is better well spent in other areas. And creating a spot that you're exiting or you're leaving in such a way where it's e easily managed, meaning that you've created a repeatable process, you're bringing in somebody who has the skill sets and the knowledge to do that role effectively, and you're able to govern that role knowing that you've, you've come from that role and you've built that role specifically. How do you govern that to make sure that it is getting better? So there is no silver bullet to this, Don, but I, I do believe that an entrepreneur needs to keep himself educated and understand the indicators of when they're not being as effective as they could be due to the fact that they're too busy or they're just too far into the tactical that they're not able to pay any attention to the, the strategic side of their business. Well, one of the uh, biggest uh, reasons for failure in small uh, businesses or any business is sometimes they don't see the forest for the trees. And uh, uh, I gather uh, what you're, you, your uh, group provides 
that the ability to look beyond the immediate and look at the uh, more strategic parts of, 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 of the business. Am I right on that? Absolutely. So one of the things we, we initially do, and it's one of our first exercises when a company engages us as their board of directors, we specifically focus on their strategic roadmap for the next year, two-year, and five-year look-ahead. Now, that first year may strictly focus on areas in a business where they have issues that need to be resolved, and that's fine. Every business has its issues. Every business has the capability to solve those issues, and with our services, particularly of bringing in a, what I view as a high-end board of directors, to me it makes that process a lot easier because we're able to infuse our experience and what works and what doesn't work into that process. So when those particular immediate issues are taken care of, we simply allow these companies or guide these companies, I should say, to stick to this particular roadmap, this strategic roadmap, and we know those roadmaps change, the markets change, the economy changes. They may find that specific areas of their offerings do better than other areas of offerings that they have within their umbrella of, of, of services or products for that matter. So we're able to be dynamic in such a way where we partner with these businesses and they are part of the solution. It's not just the board of directors off to the side that, that's telling these, these groups what to do. These companies actually remain as the chairperson of the board and we become their sounding board and infuse all of this expertise and knowledge into these companies. What's been interesting is that this is typically viewed as a service that is only for large companies or mid-sized companies. To me, looking back at some of my earlier entrepreneurial endeavors, I actually wished I had a team such as this early on. It probably would have changed the trajectory of many of my businesses. So we don't strictly cater only to large and, and medium-sized businesses. We work with startups. If the idea is good, we're able to engage with startups. If it's a small business and, and you're, you're profitable and, and you're, you're making progress, or even if you do have issues within your environment, we're in a perfect fit for companies such as that. So it, it, is, it is a group that's not only catering to certain verticals or certain size businesses. We actually think it's never too early to engage a board of directors. I happen to agree with you. You, you mentioned uh, uh, before we went on the air that you had a story that, that you thought might be of interest to our, our uh, listeners. Do you want to talk about that now? Sure, sure. So going through the time frame of the two companies uh, at one time that I served as the CEO of and, and I was one of the co-founders of, of uh, both of these businesses, we were going through these growth phases and I believed that we had created a repeatable process to the point where we could have taken this process and basically opened up and repeated this process across different cities in the U.S. And our goal at one point was to take these companies nationwide. We also knew that we didn't have all the internal experience that we needed to do that, or the connections in some cases. So our business really was for the most part in the northeast of the U.S. So we did start to look at interviewing different CEOs and CIOs to replace us in those positions to allow us to move ourselves to the board positions of these companies. And what we slowly found out was that we, could just, we, we, we couldn't find the correct people to fit those particular areas. It either, either was an experience issue, it was well-established CEOs or CIOs that were very much so used to working in larger environments. We really needed someone that understood how to grow a business from a small to a mid-sized business across a pretty large geography. So when we were not able to find a specific group or a specific person to fill some of these roles, 
we started to look into a different concept of saying, do we build an advisory team? Do we build a board of directors? Well, building those, those types of teams is, is quite cost prohibitive. And I've always kept in the back of my mind that uh, if I was ever to do this as a business, that the cost side of this, especially working with small or large size business, or I should say small or startup businesses, um, we need to make sure that we're very affordable to those companies. So long story short in this, uh, I got to the point where in those companies I sold my shares, but I had never forgotten about this concept of something that I would have used and I would have purchased or paid for and quite frankly would have shared profits in my business or even equity in my business at the time to allow for this infusion of knowledge and experience. So for the last two and a half years, we have built that team. We have built a team of board of directors specifically focusing in areas across business that we view as important at any stage or any growth phase of business. And folks not just having on this team expertise, but also having operational experience, being able to operationalize ideas that they've come up with. We all know that just because you have a great idea doesn't always mean it can be implemented. So to me it was extremely important to have expertise of team members on this board that are able to take an idea to fruition, to actually implement it, and bring it to an operational stage that can be governed. So if this group was available at the time of my businesses, it's very likely that this would have been a group that we, that we would have engaged to help us grow our business. Now I'm sitting on the other side of this as the chairman and CEO of this company, Integral Board Group, and we are helping companies early on with, I should say, whatever stage in their business, early on is very helpful for them to put structure and, and strategic guidance around their businesses. In some cases, there is no need for a company to go through the, the school of hard knocks when we can already tell them what that path is. We've done it before. We've made some of those mistakes. We know what the right way to go is, and we know the outcome of those areas and those, those roadmaps and those paths. So in a nutshell, Don, that's exactly where we're focused today. We are a four-hire board of directors, and we're able to overnight infuse this expertise and this guidance and this governance into the companies we work with. Well, is it also, uh, when you bring people like that of that caliber onto your board, does it make it easier to find money to grow? So that's a point I'd love to speak a little more about, and, and I'm glad you asked that question. So one of the things we've tried to avoid is we do not want to be viewed as solely a private equity firm or a venture capital firm. To me, in many cases, that model is wrong by leading in with the money and then coming up with your strategy as a secondary function. To us, the roadmap and all of the strategy around what, where our business should go should be the first step. So we lead in with the knowledge and the experience, and the secondary function is that if it is agreed along with the company we're working with and partnering with, if it's agreed that they require money to expand, we can absolutely help with that. So we do have the outlets through private equity. Our CFO on our team specifically has the contacts and the connections through private equity in the investment banking field. We just believe strongly that that is not the area to lead in with. You should lead in with the expertise first, and we can help these companies both as outlets to, to gain private equity, but also if they want to go and look for private equity in a bidding-type scenario, we can help prepare them and their business to, come in the, to be in the best light for these types of, of uh, capital infusions. Well, that's important because, uh, as, as you know, um, the major cause of failure with uh, uh, new businesses are a lack of uh, financial management. 
and I I always ask that question of people uh, because uh, that's that's the one that really um, uh, puts people in um, um, into uh, a bind. Uh, let me ask you this, Mark: What's what, what, how do people reach you? What's your website? So the website is integralbg.com. So I N T E G R A L B G dot com, and on that site it talks specifically about how we engage, how our board of director services operate, and another area of interest is likely going to be how our network of connections, based on the time we've spent in industry, can typically bring business to the companies that we partner with. So to me, any type of group can get together and say that they're able to come up with strategy but bringing these connections to the table that can help grow the businesses that we work with is of huge importance as well. Well, that's the, that's the part that really intrigued me when you were talking about it, because uh, uh, on our program we, we have an awful lot of startups and people uh, who are in the first, uh, second or third stages of growth, and they all talk to, to that one thing, to identifying the contacts to, to go to the next stage. And, and that, to me, is one of the most important aspects of what you bring to the table. Um, I, I, I guess, uh, to sum up, what advice would you give our audience? I, we always ask our guests to say, what are the one or two things you've learned that small business uh, leaders should really take to heart in building a business? Well, the first thing that always comes to my mind is that I truly believe and I think that all entrepreneurs should believe that anything is possible. To me, it doesn't come down to how smart you are. It's about the effort you put in and the homework you do to make sure that your idea is something that is marketable. I also think that an entrepreneur has to keep themselves as strategic as possible. I see many a great idea and many a great company in their early stages of startup where they do quite well but specific, they get specifically bogged down in so much of the tactical day-to-day -day work that they lose focus on what's next. Technology, especially in the companies that we advise and, and companies we work with, I think once they find a solution, they feel that that's the solution for that company for the next 10 to 15 years, and that's not always the case. So it points even more importance to staying as strategic as possible and doing yearly evaluations on your business understanding that things do change regardless of what you see in your industry today. There are folks that are out there that are coming up with the next best idea, and it's very important to stay abreast and understand where, where those technologies, in this case, are coming from or where those ideas are going, because they do change very quickly. Well, you know, the, the essence of change is change. It's amazing how people have forgotten that uh, in this day and age. Um, I guess... Uh, one, what final thought would you give our audience today about you, your company, or uh, what you've seen out there? Well, I, I think that we're in very interesting economic times right now. So although companies or, or entrepreneurs may have great ideas, I think it's infinitely important to make sure that we understand where the markets are going. So we see the stock market at record highs right now. We see companies are picking up in their hiring all these indicators are fairly positive indicators. But to me, it's very important to understand why those indicators are there and why they're trending in that manner. Because as we've learned in 2008, that can turn in an instant. 
So it's extremely important for me, for businesses, to always look at not just the good times and how businesses grow, but also be prepared should something happen in the markets. Be prepared for the negative sides as well. Those are the companies that survive. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're going to invite you back in a couple of months uh, to talk more and perhaps bring one or two of your client companies with you, and we'll have a real round table on it. I think our audience would really appreciate it. Very good, Don. I would be very interested to do that, and I thank you for your time today as well. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Uh, come again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.